Heavenly Father, we we just want to thank you for uh, your many graces unto us, your blessing upon us, the fact that we can even uh, come into your presence, much less uh, worship you, much less uh, ask of you, uh, and actually be used by you for your own glory. And so we ask now, Lord, that you um, just become in that confidence and ask that you would um, bless this time, that you would speak to us uh, this this class, this um, teaching about the about this liturgy that you have given to us. We ask that you would um, assure our, us and feed us, and and um, Lord, this would be a time uh, of the that builds up your church. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. I um I can't remember exactly when, uh, maybe six months ago or so. I. Uh, we were we were in communion and and we were praying the the, the post communion prayer just the prayer after communion and and I I thought that it would be just, I was just struck by how rich the post communion prayer is and and what it uh, offers to us and what it says and and you know I love the liturgy and um and and yet what if you're like me. Then occasionally, and perhaps more than occasionally, the um, the liturgy becomes uh, rote. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I, I've thought, did, "Did we just pray the Lord's Prayer?" Like, I, you know, you actually say the words out loud, and, and you, you it doesn't register at all because you you've said it so many times that you're you can actually carry on a full conversation in your head about something completely different while you're saying out loud. Uh, the words that you're reading—it's an amazing thing that God has created our minds to do. But, um, or, or maybe it's a product of the fall. But I, um, I anyway, I'm capable of that, and uh, and and it happens. And so, uh, a lot of times, like when I'm leading the liturgy, I try to um, put particular emphasis on words as I'm reading it, and that's that's not to be dramatic. It's really just so I'll pay attention. It, it's um, it, it just so that I can 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 think. Uh, more uh, presently about about the liturgy, but but I was struck that that morning and have have been struck several times uh, since just about how rich uh, that prayer is and what what it offers to us. And so I thought that it, um, when I was asked to uh, lead a couple of uh, these classes, uh, that I would uh, talk about the post communion prayer. Um, it. Uh, it is so helpful when you're when you're praying the liturgy, uh, at least for me, uh, to pray it rather than to say it. Uh, right? You're not just saying it; you're not just reciting the words, but you're actually using it um, uh, vertically, and uh, and you're doing that. So we, um, I thought it'd be helpful for you and for me to to sort of pause on this post communion prayer, uh, the prayer that we pray after we take communion uh, together. Now, there's two sections. Uh, in the prayer, it's, there's uh, a thanksgiving, and then there's a petition and, or supplication. And, and so this week, we're going to talk about what we're thankful for. And then next week, we'll talk about what we're asking for. Uh, and uh, But what's, what's extraordinary about this uh, first section, it's the longer section, uh, is what it instructs us that we have received uh, spiritually, having received the Lord's Supper. And so, um, so I've given that to you in a, in a handout, um, and on, on the back is, is a few of the uh, a few of the thirty nine articles, and we'll talk about those. We're not going to talk about all of all of those, but um, some of there are just for your own 
uh, edification, but we'll talk about a little bit of that. But but let's uh, let's just pray it. Um, sort of, or, or this actually more is reciting, isn't it? Because um because we we haven't just received communion, but um but let's just say it together, and then um and then we let's just say the first part, um, which will end the hope of that everlasting kingdom, and then we will um, just kind of work through that. So we'll just recite it together. Almighty and ever living God, we most heartily thank thee for that thou dost feed us in these holy mysteries with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and dost assure us thereby of thy favor and goodness towards us, and that we are very members incorporate in the mystical body of thy Son, the blessed company of all faithful people, and are also heirs through hope of thy everlasting kingdom. So I've um, sort of outlined it there, so you can kind of see it's broken out, really what we're, uh, what we're talking about there. Uh, number one, we're addressing the Almighty and ever-living God. Number two, we're thanking Him heartily. That is, we're thanking Him from our hearts. Number three, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper feeds us and assures us. It feeds us and assures us. So first, let's just think this these first four words, Almighty and ever-living God. So number one, we are addressing the Almighty and ever-living God. So God is Almighty. And um, if we say that flippantly, uh, it makes it makes it into, you know, Music, you know, good God Almighty, and I mean, it's, we just don't, we don't. Sometimes we just say that so, um, so casually. Uh, he, God, is all powerful. He's, uh, we, uh, he's, we say he's omnipotent, um, and we see his power uh, time and time again uh, in in the Old Testament. If we read that, we th- just think about creation. That all that is is created uh, with a word from nothing. It is, I think, very hard for us to imagine nothing. Uh, we can, uh, w- even if there's just space, there's, so- there's something. There's, I-, I-, I don't really have a category. I don't think any of us really have a category uh, for what there was before there was anything. Because there was God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, from nothing, uh, he, he created with a word, let there be, and, and there was. Let there be light. And there was light. Now, He didn't create the sun and the moon for three more days. I don't know how that works. God is incredibly powerful. With just a word... All uh, the beauty, and, and let me just think about how, how the way that the world is created, the beauty of it sings to our souls. Uh, the breath, uh, again, we can't get our mind around just uh, geographically the breadth of all of creation. I can't get my mind around the fact that uh, the size of just the planet we live on and what a speck our planet is compared 
uh, to all that is. The incredible beauty, the incredible breadth, and, 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 and with the incredible breadth, the incredible complexity of creation from, uh, from the giant, um, massive uh, solar systems in outer space to the, to the micro-molecular structure and cellular structure and uh, photosynthesis and osmosis and everything that, that works on the teeny tiniest level uh, up to, um, to make it all, all the incredible uh, vastness work. Um, the diversity of creation, the balance of creation, the, the, um, the violence of creation. I mean, whose ideas were grizzly bears and hurricanes and earthquakes and um, and then the life, I mean, just the, the electricity to to put it uh, in motion, uh, to set it to set it going. We, the, just just in creation, we see that God is uh, Almighty, and yet we see it over and over again. We see it in the flood. Uh, we see um, that God, and not only can He make extraordinary, vast things happen, uh, that we see that He judges sin and He is just in doing it. We see uh, His almighty power in the miracle that Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, who were uh, 90 and 100 years old. Um, we see uh, the, the power of God in the fact that He... Uh, that the purpose of Joseph's being sold into slavery in Egypt was to uh, was for decades later to bring that family down uh, into Egypt to preserve them from famine, so that the Messiah's lineage can be, could be uh, preserved. We see uh, his power in the ten plagues uh, against Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Exodus where he brought his people out of Egypt and part of the Red Sea and led His people by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We see uh, His power in the battles uh, to take the land of Canaan for His people where the battle belongs to the Lord. We see uh, His power in little David's defeat uh, of Goliath. And, and that's just off the top of my head. Uh, over and over and over again, we see in the pages of Scripture the displays of the Lord's power. He is almighty. And this prayer says that He is also uh, ever-living, which means that there is not a time when God wasn't. Which is, again, we don't really have a category for that uh, in our mind. You know, I just, I've wondered uh, if we'll get to heaven and we'll realize that, that he, they've already done this several times before. I mean, this year, is, this earth is somewhere between, you know... Uh, 10,000 and 4 billion years old, depending on, on who you talk to. And, um, and um, I, I sort, of, sort of lean towards the latter, but the, uh, um, I, you know, I just always wonder, like, if, if there never was a time that, that God wasn't, maybe we'll get to heaven and we'll see. He's, we're, this is like the fourth or fifth or however, hundred millionth iteration of all that. I don't know. It's just what, what an amazing thing to think. There is never a time when God um, wasn't. He's not just old or ancient, but He is ever living. And, and there's, there's also not a time that He will not be. 
Uh, that, that there is that whatever future we have, that He will be a part of it. God is almighty and ever living. And we get to talk to Him. I, I don't know if you've ever met uh, somebody really, sort of really famous. I, I really haven't met somebody who's just really famous. Um, but when I was uh, not too far out of college, I got to... Um, have lunch with Richard Foster. Do you know the name Richard Foster? He wrote Celebration of Disciplines. And it was just, um, it, I, I did, it was sort of a chance, sort of a weird coincidence. And I was living in Breckenridge, Colorado, but I was picking a friend up at the airport in Denver. And I had to, the way it worked, I had to stay at this place. I didn't have any money, so I didn't stay at a hotel. I stayed at this sort of Christian compound. It was kind of weird. And he was there. And and he was sort of a big deal among the people that I had uh, gone to college with, and and I just remember like feeling I, I wanted to like make conversation, and he was very gracious, but he wasn't really making conversation with me, you know. And um, uh, and so I was like, well, are you working on any books? And I don't know, I just it was the silly, like I just felt so silly, and um, and you know, most of the world's never even heard of this person, and and I just, but I'll, I think of that. I heard a friend talk about one time when she met um, the president uh, of the United States, and. and she just was completely at a loss for for words, and he he, uh, he had said it was Bill Clinton, and she was interning at the White House, and, and he greeted her and said, "Hello, Leah," and um, she's wearing a name tag, you know. But she was just, she was just like, "Oh my gosh!" and and um and and I just think like how silly all that is in comparison to who we talk to every day. That we get to come into the throne room of God and talk to God who is almighty and ever living. And that alone should it should just blow our minds. And yet the scriptures tell us we can come to the throne of grace in confidence. We are I, I, this isn't this isn't a teaching on the nature of prayer, but but we, we sell ourselves short in the power and the resource that we have, that God has given Himself to us, that we may come to Him and address Him. He is the Almighty and ever-living God. And we get to talk to Him. But number two, we are coming in this prayer uh, to, uh, to thank Him and to ask of Him. But we are thanking Him. So we come with a position of Gratitude. We're thankful. Uh, we're thankful because we receive communion. So we're going to talk about communion in just a minute. Uh, but we, we, um, we, you may leave communion with a sense of gratitude. But communion for me is often like the liturgy, where I can take it without really thinking about uh, what it is. Most people, I, I think, don't have a an awe, awesome sense of what they have received in uh, the Eucharist. Uh, lots of times, I certainly uh, don't. Um, you know, I think, well, you know, that was nice, or um, I, I like having the experience of, of taking communion. Um, but, but I don't often say thank you uh, in my heart uh, for receiving uh, the bread and the wine. Uh, much less do I, do I say I heartily thank you. Uh, for, and, and yet I do say that in the prayer, but a lot of times I'm thinking about, um, you know, what's going on this afternoon or what I have to do or what comes next or who, 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 who's here and who's not here. And, 
Um, but what does it mean that we thank God heartily? You know, we think of soup as you know, hearty. It's a good hearty soup. Um, someone laughs; they might laugh heartily. Uh, and we think of that as, as robust. You know, or at least I do. You just think of robust, is full, um, is substantial. It's um, but heartily, of course, means it's from the heart. It's from the very seat of our emotions. And that's the way we use the word heart in, in sort of Christian language. Not the uh, blood pumping muscle, but, but the locus of our, of our emotions. Uh, the fiber, the core of our being. And in Old English, when the, sort of the prayer was written, it, it, what heartily meant was courageously, zealously. Again, you can see it's the, the tie to the heart. And, and I think that um, when I think about how we don't or I don't uh, receive communion and, and thank God heartily, uh, what that often means is, is, is the degree to which we are thankful is going to depend on the esteem in which we hold the thing that we've been given. The degree to which we are thankful is going to depend on the uh, esteem in which we hold the thing that we've been given. Uh, not too long ago, it was Father's Day. Uh, Father's, anybody receiving a tie for, for Father's Day? And, you know, did it have blinking lights or um, you know anything? It was just um, palm trees or something that that um, your kids picked out really special for you. And you, you get the, you get a gift like that, and you think, oh, thanks, thanks, that's great. I can't wait. And um, and you put it on, and and um, and then you wear it out, and and. Um, and if you're real, you're, if you're really good dad, like you'll actually wear it out where other people can see. But that doesn't. Um, I I can remember a time that um, uh, it was, right as as Amy and I were getting ready to leave our uh, wedding reception, we just gotten married, and you know, her dad's a, a minister, and so people came. There's a whole bus from like three churches ago that they they all came. They remember when she was born. Or she was just a tiny little girl, and they all came. And uh, this this little old uh, sweet Baptist lady uh, comes up to uh, Amy's sister and hands her this fat envelope. It says, "Will you make sure that that uh, that Amy gets this?" And she was like, "Yes, I will." And she took that over. She said, "Amy, she said, I don't know this. Here's this great this big fat envelope. We were so uh, excited, and we got uh, to the place where we were going tonight. We opened it up." And it was um, this. She had somebody knit us a little uh, pot holder, you know, and stuffed it, stuffed it in a. Um... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, the uh, I, the degree uh, to which we are thankful depends on the esteem in which we hold the thing that we uh, have been given. And Thomas Cramer and uh, the Anglican divines who who devised this uh, prayer and. In fact, all really the leaders of the Reformation uh, on the European continent, Luther and Calvin and, and their followers, and, and all of the English Reformation, Cramer and Jewell and Hooker and Riddler, Ridley and Latimer, they were all astounded. They were astounded at the magnitude of the gift that was given to us in the Eucharist. These are the Protestant reformers, and so I, and I'm not trying to. I don't want to. As we get into talking about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, I don't want to make it more than it is, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but 
But it, needless to say, um, it can become liturgical uh, for us. It can become uh, rote. But this sacri- this, what this prayer says is that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper feeds us and assures us. That's, so we, we're addressing God Almighty, Almighty and ever-living God. We're thanking Him from our hearts. We're thanking Him heartily. And this prayer says that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper feeds us and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper assures us. Now, do you know the, um, the sort of the traditional definition uh, of, a, of a sacrament? This is St. Augustine's definition. Um, it's the outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. A sacrament is the outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And, and the Protestant church recognizes two sacraments, right? There's baptism and there is the Lord's Supper. These are the two sacraments that the Lord gave us. And the, Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church recognizes five other sacraments. There's um, marriage and ordination and last rites and um, uh, reconciliation. I'm missing one, I'm sure. Unction. And, um, and, um, and we would call those sacramental rites, but not, but not sacraments. Uh, these are what the Lord has, has given us. They are outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual grace. And if you look at Article 30, uh, our, uh, in the 39 article, Article 25, it says, of the sacraments. Now listen, to, this is historically what, what Anglicans have, have understood about the nature of the sacraments. Sacraments ordained of Christ be not only badges or tokens of Christian men's profession. They're not less than that, but there's not only that. They're not just simply tokens of what we are professing. Rather, they be certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace. And of course, that's my emphasis that I've added there. Um, Certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace. And God's goodwill towards us, by which, by the which He doth work invisibly in us, and doth not only quicken but also strengthen and confirm our faith in Him. So, so the sacraments are certain, sure witnesses of God's goodwill to us and effectual signs. They point us. The sacraments. You should, think of the the outward signs. Of, um, of the sacraments for baptism, water, and oil on on the head. Just that's all it is. Just water, just ordinary water in the in the Eucharist, bread and wine, the the, the most common uh, food that you could have found uh, at the at the time of Christ. And yet, in their their commonness um, points to uh, the greatness of what God has given to us. And so baptism, of course, is the sign of, of the sacrament of new life, uh, where if you think about a, a, a water baptism, if you, when Jesus dunked, or John the Baptist uh, dunked the, uh, the disciples down in the, in the water, if you've ever been to a, like a Baptist tradition, that's the way they still do it a lot of times. And um, I've, even, I've been on, we even got, on one of our men's hikes, we got to um, baptize somebody down in the, it was really cold. In the creek, all the way under, and all the way back up, and you, you just you can't breathe under under the water. Obviously, not not just because it's coming. You can't breathe under the water. You would die under the water. You come up into new life. <gasps> that deep breath, 
And the water symbolizes not just the, uh, the Holy Spirit on you, but actually uh, the new coming out of the water, that new life that we receive uh, in Christ. The bread and the wine, of course, point us to the death um, of Christ by which He reconciled us. They are um, short, certain, sure witnesses, effectual signs of grace. They're signs. They're not the grace themselves. They are, they are signs of grace. We might say they're means of grace, but they're sign- we have a sign out here that says the Cathedral Church of the Advent. And if you went and st- somebody who was visiting came and stood at the sign and-, and was ready for worship, you would think that they were crazy because we know that that sign isn't the thing itself. It just points to the thing itself. It points to something larger than itself. You would say, no, 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 come on inside. And, so, and that's what the sacraments do. They're signs of grace. They're not the thing itself, but they point us to the thing that is so much larger. Come inside. Come and worship. But they're not just, not just signs. They are effectual signs. God is working in them. Um, recently, in, in, in the uh, theology lecture series that Mark Ginellette did in, in April, uh, he said that um, when, when the Reformers were counseling people who were struggling with their doubts, they were struggling with their faith, what they would counsel them is to remember the sacraments. Look to their baptism. Take the Lord's Supper. And, and we, we often lose that. We, um, you know, we think, well, I, I don't even remember my baptism. I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was just an infant. I didn't, it wasn't my choice. And isn't that amazing? That even then, not according to, to your will, but, but to the will of God, that God was there in your life making a promise over your life. And because then, not even by your own will, you receive the sacrament of His grace and His acceptance to you, and you can know that He is with you now. We lose, I think, the power of the sacrament. Again, I don't want to make it more than it is, and I I don't even want to say that everyone who is baptized has come into comes in automatically into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but I can say that anyone who is in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, who is then having doubts, can look back at their baptism and say, the Lord was with me then, and He is with me now. Okay, so what do I do? Take the Lord's Supper. Take uh, the Eucharist. Take communion in faith. Now, there may be other things that you can do as well. You can pray. And I hope you will. You can have others pray for you and with you. You can talk to wise counsel. You can seek the Scriptures. All very good things to do. But in taking communion, we are making our confession, and yet we are, and we are also receiving the assurance of God that Christ's body was broken for us and His blood was shed for us. We're placing our trust in the death of Christ. Look at Article 28. The Supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves and to one another. Again, it's not less than that. It does Communion is a, a, a horizontal communion as well. Uh, but rather, it is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death. Insomuch 
that to such as rightly, worthily, and with faith, that's key, with faith receive the same, the bread which we break is partaking of the body of Christ. We're, we're literally partaking of the body of Christ. And likewise, the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ. Now, you think, well, don't, we don't believe in transubstantiation. Well, that's right. Transubstantiation or the change of the substance of bread and wine in the supper of the Lord cannot be proved by holy writ. It's repugnant to the plain words of Scripture and overthroweth the nature of the sacrament. And has given occasion to many superstitions. But, but Jesus says in, in the Gospels, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, this is my body and this is my blood. So how do we understand that? How do we understand that the bread and the wine that we are actually partaking in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, the article says, the body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heavenly and spiritual manner. And the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. It's faith. That's the, that is the key element. If we... In 11 o'clock service, we'll have communion, and I'll go up and I will ask the Holy Spirit to come upon the bread and the wine, and I'll do the sign of the cross over it. And then if you took that bread and that wine and you took it out and you put it under a microscope, what you would see is bread and wine. But it is to us who take it in faith, the body and blood of Christ. My um, brother-in-law is uh, a Baptist minister as, as well. And in, in seminary, he was taught that there are basically two, um, he, he, there are basically two uh, views of the Lord's Supper, uh, of communion. And there's transubstantiation, which understands that the body, uh, the bread and the wine actually become uh, physically, substantially, the body and blood of Christ. And then there is the memorialist view, which says we just have bread and wine to remember what has been done for us. And he was really, I just can remember when I was in seminary talking to him about what I was learning, he was surprised to hear that there was a middle view. And he, he, you, you Episcopalians shouldn't be understand, uh, shouldn't be surprised to understand that that's, that's the view we take. We always take the middle view, right, on everything. Um, it is not, the bread and wine does not become flesh and blood. But neither is it simply a memorial, something we do because He said to do it, but it is to us the body and blood because we take it in faith. If you take the, the communion and you receive it, but you don't believe it, you can eat all you want, you can get drink till you get drunk, and it will not be the body and blood of Christ to you. And yet if you receive just a, just a crumb, Dipped in wine, and you have, uh, and you receive it in faith. Uh, it is the body and blood of Christ to us. It's it's what we say. It's a holy mystery. It's a holy mystery. I don't know what it is, and 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 actually, there are people all along the spectrum between memorialism and transubstantiation. In that, however, you can everything right up to transubstantiation. You might even call it consubstantiation. Or all the way there, as long as faith is an element, that is an acceptable Anglican position. Um, because we do, we remember. 
It is a memorial. Yet it also is to us, the body and blood of Christ. And it feeds, it feeds us again and again. We receive the bread and the wine as the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's the means by uh, it points us to the gospel. It points us to the means by which we have received reconciliation with God. It points us to Christ's substitutionary death. His death wrought on our behalf. And each time we come, it comes again and again. Now, that doesn't mean every time you're doubting you, that day that you have to find communion somewhere. It just means if you're doubting and it's Wednesday, you can remember that you took it on Sunday. Or you can know that you're going to take it. Um, in the same way you can remember your baptism and God's faithfulness to you, you can know that Christ is, His death is for you. It is for you. It feeds us uh, again and again. And so, we are heartily thankful. Thank you. Zealously, courageously, thank you, Almighty and ever-living God, for, for the gospel given to us in the body and blood of Christ. The sacrament also assures us. Now, we may not get through all three things. So that's okay. I've got another week. And, the, um, and so, we're, if, if we don't get there, we're just going to stop at 10.50 and that'll be, that'll be fine. Um, now, again, not the bread and the wine, but the truth to which we are committing ourselves in receiving the body and blood assures us. We are assured of, that, of His favor and goodness towards us. We are assured that we are very members in corporate in the mystical body of His Son, which is the blessed company of all faithful people. And we are assured also that we are heirs through hope of His everlasting kingdom. So, we are assured of His favor and His goodness towards us. Remember, these are effectual signs. God works in them. God works through the sacraments. And and we're not simply assuring God what we believe, but as we receive the sacrament. God is assuring us of His favor and His goodness towards us. Remember, communion points to the gospel. I think I think it was Stephen Paulson, who's a um, scholar who studied under uh, Gerhard Ferdes, a Lutheran scholar. Um, I think it was Stephen Paulson who said that God is so for us that He is against Himself. That's, that's an amazing uh, statement. And what he means by that is that God is is righteous and holy and just and must judge sin, and yet He is so for us that He took our sin, uh, everything that separates us from God, that He took that upon Himself. He is so for us that He's even against His uh, own self. So, how do we have uh, the favor and the goodness of God? How can people who are naturally rebellious or naturally self-righteous, or naturally self-sufficient, or naturally codependent, how can we, who are naturally placing our faith in anything other than righteous and holy God, be assured of the favor and goodness of holy God towards us? And we see that in the cross. The body and the blood. There's a... um, story that Frank Limehouse tells, you, you may have heard him uh, say it before, but there was a, a, a friend or maybe a parishioner of his who uh, was just tormented uh, in his inner heart and mind. He, he, um, but every time before he would 
come to communion, he would have these like lewd thoughts or these violent uh, thoughts. And he just didn't feel like he could take communion and with uh, in, in such a state. And he finally, after I don't know how many weeks or months of this, he came to Frank, and, and Frank's response um, to him was, uh, there is something along the lines of, there is no sin in your heart that is too great for the blood of Christ to clean. There's no sin in your heart that is too great for the blood of Christ to clean. Sin is not indelible when our faith is in Jesus Christ. And we don't always feel like that. I know I don't. And we need assurance. Assurance that is it's not just talking to ourselves. That can be a good thing to do sometimes, but we need assurance that is outside of ourselves, an outside word to us, outside of our emotions. Our heart um, deceives us. And in, as we take the Lord's Supper, it ministers to us. And we have assurance of His favor and His goodness to us. And we thank God heartily for that. We also are assured that we are very members in corporate in the mystical body of His Son, the blessed company of all faithful people. You know, you have been saved by faith, justified uh, outside of yourself. We are saved personally. We are saved individually. But there is a, also a much wider scope to which we have been saved. Uh, we are saved into Christ. Paul says we are in Christ. Uh, and that is, that, is a, that is a physical, as a geographic statement. We are under the umbrella or even in the envelope of, of Christ's grace. We are, and therefore, we are members of His body, which is the church. Now, it's a mystical body. And wherever you are, that's where the church is. Wherever you and another Christian are, wherever two or three are gathered, there He is in the midst. That's where the church is. But the church isn't just where you are. The church is the blessed company of all faithful people. Which means across denominational lines, across geographic lines, all around the world, wherever faithful people are, that they, we are all part of the mystical body of Jesus Christ. And, not just now, but stretching back to the day of Pentecost. Hundreds and hundreds of years, almost 2,000 years ago. Again, I don't, I don't really have a category for much outside of what I can see at any given moment. And yet the truth about us is that we are members incorporate in the mystical body of Thy Son, the blessed company of all faithful people. We are members of the family of God. And what do families do when they get together? We eat. <laughs> and the communion is our family meal. Our citizenship has been transferred. We are God's people now. We are parts of His body. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's right before the love chapter. Incidentally, the love chapter is about how Christians should treat one another, not how husband and wife 
should, although husbands and wives are Christians, it certainly applies. St. Paul says to the Corinthians, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed His body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and that that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. One member is honored. All rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So if you feel like you are a dispensable member of the body of Christ, you don't have really a lot to offer. This says that's not what's true about you. That you are indispensable to the body of Christ. Likewise, if you think, man, the church could not do without you, (laughs) we're glad you're here. (laughs) But we are all one in Christ Jesus. And it is an incredible and glorious uh, truth that we are very members in corporate in the mystical body of the Son. Um, there is a role that each of us have in the body of Christ. Uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians that the church is the means by which the manifold wisdom of God is proclaimed to the world. That's the church. That's the church's role and that's the church's job. And if you're a member of the church, then you have a role in that. It may, you may not be the mouthpiece. You may, uh, you may be... Uh, Someone who prays for it, who funds it, who organizes it, who supports the speakers in, in, some, in some way. But there is a role that you have. And whatever the church's function is, you have a role in that. Um, we are assured in the sacrament of Christ's body and blood that we are members of His body. And we heartily uh, thank God for that. Well, we are at just about time, so I'm not going to get into the uh, everlasting kingdom. We'll cover that next week uh, as we right before we talk about what we are thankful for. We might have might have time for one question. One it better, it better be good. Um, anybody? Yeah. Just keep your seat, my dear. This isn't yeah. a question. Yeah, okay. This is a statement. A statement. Thank you. Thank yes. you. I don't think I'll ever take communion again without yeah. having a deeper insight. But what just amazes me is talking about the ever-living God how on earth anybody ever could doubt God mm. or think He's not here? You know, it just, just yeah, it is, and yet our, our fallen minds are certainly capable. Mine, mine, chief, chief among them, and yet isn't it great that God has given us something so common as water, as bread, and wine to assure us uh, that He is with us? Thanks be to God. Amen. All right.